welcome to Faith Point, the podcast ministry of First Southern Baptist Church of Prescott Valley with Senior Pastor Carol Eldreth. Our goal is to allow our faith to intersect with real life. So let's join Pastor Carol today as he shares with us from God's Word. Good morning, church. It's good to be back with you again. It's been my privilege to be here many, many times uh, for some wonderful worship services and some sad events. It's good to be with Bart again. Where'd Bart go? Oh, there he is. Bart and Sharon's. Uh, it's been my privilege to serve with him in other places and a great opportunity to be with you today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Without you, we would be completely undone. And now as we approach your word, I would ask that you open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word. I pray that Christ would be exalted and we would be drawn to you afresh and anew. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Early one morning, Jesus went to the temple. There he would meet with the people and he would teach them God's word. A crowd gathered. But in the midst of Jesus' teaching, a group of religious leaders brought a woman and they pushed their way through the crowd and they got up to Jesus. They pushed the woman down onto the ground. And they said, Jesus, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. What should we do with her? Jesus knew their motive. Their motive was to catch him contradicting the law of Moses. And so Jesus did that which he always did. He knelt down and spent time with the Father. He took his finger and wrote something on the dirt. People for a couple of thousand years have wondered what did he write, and we don't know. But then he stood up, and he looked at these men, these religious leaders, and they, he said to them, He who is without sin, cast the first stone. Spiritually, probably emotionally, those words hit them like a rock. Those men hung their heads in shame. And from the oldest to the youngest, they began to walk away. Until the only two there were Jesus and the woman. And Jesus lifted her up 
Now, if he was from the West, he'd have said, now, sis. He didn't say that. He looked at her and he said, does no one here condemn you? And she said, no, Lord, there's no one here to condemn me. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now go, leave this life of sin. That story beautifully illustrates Jesus' capacity to have mercy and to change a life. We live in an age, and we have for some time, where most of the churches, the Christian churches, the churches that say they believe the Bible and they believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, most of the churches in America are households of amnesia. We have forgotten the core teachings of Scripture. And we've forgotten to put them into practice. And I would say to you, that the number one thing we must remember if we're going to recover from a household of amnesia is who our Savior is. The fact is, Jesus absolutely was a great teacher. And he was a great prophet. It is true that he showed a better way to live and how to find God. It's true that he was able to heal both body and soul. But we've got to say something, guys. Jesus was more than a healer. He was more than a way shower. He's the Savior. He is the one and only Savior of sinners. See, this is one of the problems that we're facing today. People don't believe they need a Savior. We're going to talk a little little bit about that today. But the fact is, people everywhere need a Savior. We are all born with a spiritual, I want to call it a spiritual heart disease, called sin. Everyone born on this planet is born with this spiritual heart disease called sin. Now, I know your kids were beautiful, wonderful babies. And your grandkids, oh, they're really sweet. How many of you have great-grandkids? I don't have any yet. I might not live long enough. But I bet your great-grandkids were just as beautiful and sweet as they could be. But I hate to tell you this. They were all born with a sin nature. Many years ago, I was an associate pastor in Phoenix, and my brother-in-law was actually our pastor he wasn't my brother-in-law yet, but he would become. They had a little girl, cutest little thing. One Sunday night, it's back in the days when we had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night services. And one Sunday night, 
the lady who had been keeping the nursery brought Angela to her mom and dad, the pastor and his wife. One of them said, well, how, how did she do tonight? And the lady was so sweet. I remember her very fondly. She looked at mom and dad and she said, oh, tonight she was showing her fallen nature. <laughs> we are born with a fallen nature. We'll talk more about that in a minute or two. But the Bible says that our hearts are wicked, deceitful, and sick. You may hear people say today, oh, just follow your heart. I've heard Christians say that. Oh, just follow your heart. The only problem with that is the Bible says our hearts are sick and deceitful. If I follow my heart, I might be going the wrong way. The Bible says all of us have sinned. We have missed the mark. Because of this sin disease that we have, we commit sins in thoughts, words, and deeds. Let's face it. How many of us here would want everybody in the church to know all of our thoughts that we've had this week? Most of us would not. And we sin with words. We sin with words that are hurtful and ugly. And you get to a point in your life, that I'm at that point in my life where I, you know, all the stuff I can't remember. How is it that I remember those stupid things I said to people? And we do things that we know are sinful. Because of this, we stand condemned before a holy God. Why is it that we stand condemned? Because we're sinners. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And God, who is holy in every respect, cannot overlook sin. Let me say that again. God, who is holy in every respect, cannot overlook our sin. And still be holy. And that's why we stand condemned before God without Christ. That's why we need a Savior. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus as the Savior. I want to say three things today. Number one, our Savior is God's one and only Son. Number one, our Savior is God's one and only Son. Now, most Bible scholars agree 
that the Gospel of Mark was the first of the four Gospels to be written and published for the church. And here's how Mark begins his Gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible today. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark begins by saying to us that this is the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? He is the Son of God. Sixteen chapters. It's my contention that those sixteen chapters were written to prove that very thing. That Jesus is the Son of God. How does he do that? Well, he tells about the miracles of Christ. And he brings out four witnesses who testify to the deity of Christ. God the Father is brought out as he speaks at the very baptism of Jesus. A man who is possessed of a legion of demons, professes Jesus to be the Son of God. The centurion, the centurion who oversaw the crucifixion of Christ, begins his day as a devotee of Caesar and ends his day as a worshiper of Jesus, for he confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, in contrast to Mark, which was the first of the four Gospels, we have the Gospel of John, which is the last of the four Gospels to be written, written late in that first century. And John also gives a very clear witness to the deity of Christ. Listen to what he says. In John chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to look at uh, three different verses here. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Amen. Verse 14, John 1, 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We all know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In all of those verses, John is reminding us of who Jesus is. He is the son of God. You know those folks that like to come to your door, sell you a little pamphlet, talk to you about Jehovah? You know those guys? I haven't had them come to my door in quite a while, but they used to. Last time I remember them coming to my door, I like to talk to them. You know, they've only got one or two minutes worth of talk in them, and then it's your turn. And I'm always polite. You should always be polite. You'll never win anybody to Christ by being mean to them. 
So I started talking to them about my testimony of coming to faith in Christ. And I always referred to Jesus as this, as God the Son. God the Son. God the Son. And the last time it took them three times before they figured out what I was saying. They said, wait a minute. You're saying God the Son. We're talking about the Son of God. I said, how, how could he be anything but God if he's the Son of God? Well, no, 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 that can't be. Well, let's take a little simple biology. Okay? There may be some biologists here. I'm, I'm on you know, shaky ground, I know. Last science class I ever took was high school biology. If a dog has babies, what are those babies by nature? Dog, very good. Don't be afraid. It's, this, this is not a trick. Okay. If a cat has babies, what are they by nature? Cats. If humans have babies by nature, what are they? They're monsters. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm just kidding. We've already said they have a sinful, fallen nature, didn't we? <clears throat> if God has a son, what must he be by nature? God. He is divine in his very nature. John begins in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He begins where the Jewish reader will understand and capture their attention. He reminds them of Genesis in the beginning. And then he points them to Jesus, the Word, the one who communicates God's message, the one who is the embodiment of God's message, the one who created the heavens and the earth. If you look down in John chapter 1, verse 3, he tells us that Jesus is the agent of creation. Unless we missed it, he gets it to verse 14 where he tells us that the Word took flesh and dwelt among us and is full of grace and truth. Moses came to bring the law. God used Moses to reveal the law. But in contrast to Moses, Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. And he is the one who is the Savior. So our Savior is the one and only Son of God. Secondly, our Savior's mission is clear. During my lifetime, and maybe it was going on before to some degree, but I, I've really seen an emphasis in my lifetime of people uh, talking about their mission. You know, corporations, businesses, 
would have a mission statement. Churches have mission statements. And we as individuals, quite often, we, we try to think about what's my purpose in life? What's my mission? What is, why did God put me here? And I think that's good. We want to know what our mission is. We want to know what our purpose is like. We don't want to be that person who is referred to as a waste of air. I've heard people referred to as that. Man, what a waste of air that guy is. Wow. I don't want that to be me. I want to know what my mission is, what my purpose is. What was Jesus' purpose? What was his mission? Well, the Bible makes it extremely clear what his mission was and still is. In John chapter 3, verse 17, the Bible says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why did Jesus come into the world? That the world might be saved through him. In Luke 19.10, Jesus himself says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We've already said that people without Christ need a Savior. Jesus came to seek people out and to save them as they would put their faith in Him. That's His mission. One last verse on that. 1 Timothy 1.15 The Bible says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am the foremost. A lot of folks have been competing with Paul to become the foremost. Jesus came to save sinners. I am pretty sure most of you folks were good and kind and nice and sweet and never did anything really bad. That would not be true of me. I'm not going into down and dirty details. Let me just say that I am very aware that if God could save me, he could save anybody. Amen? You may have a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter. You may have a friend, a neighbor, who just is so far from God that you can't imagine them ever being saved. If God could save me, he could save anybody. That's the hope that I have for my friends and relatives who are so far from Christ. If he could save me, Father, if you could save me, you can save them, and I know it, and I'm asking you in Jesus' name to save them. Jesus came to save sinners. That's his mission. He didn't have to wake up every morning and say, Father, what is it that you'd have me do today? What do you think I ought to do today, Lord? Jesus knew his mission from the beginning was to do the Father's will, and that involved saving sinners. So we've said that our Savior is none other than God's one and only Son. We've said that our Savior's mission 
is to save sinners. Third, our Savior took our place. Our Savior took our place. Some years ago, I was pastor of First Southern Baptist Church of Sholo. I was in the grocery store, Safeway grocery store, closest church, closest store to the church in the house where we lived. And I was checking out, and I don't remember, we got into some conversation with the checker. I don't remember what it was. But there was an older gentleman, and I, by my, by saying older, I mean probably my age or younger now, who was bagging the groceries. Very nice guy. Seemed like it. And somehow in that conversation, he said these words. I sure hope I get what I deserve. My eyes probably got big. I know that my heart almost stopped. And I looked at him and I said, I sure hope I don't get what I deserve. He said, why would you say that? I said, because I deserve to die and go to hell. And he said, I never thought of that. We all deserve to die and go to hell because of our sin. But there's good news. Mark said, remember Mark said the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the word gospel means good news. The good news is that Jesus didn't die for his sin. He didn't die because he was a horrible person. There are a lot of people throughout the ages who have thought, well, you know, if Jesus went to the cross like that, he was beaten, all the things, terrible things that happened to him, he must have done something really, really bad. The Bible says that's not true. He didn't do anything bad. As a matter of fact, he never sinned, but he died in our place. He took the punishment we deserve. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous. And Peter means they're the righteous one for the unrighteous ones, us. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Jesus, the righteous one, the one who had never sinned, died for us, the unrighteous ones. In the Old Testament, And the New Testament, as a matter of fact, there are three words that are used for sin. We usually just say, well, that's just another word for sin. But they actually have meaning. And one of the places that you'll find all three of those words is in the book of Psalms, chapter 51, verses 1 and 2. David is writing after his sinful relationship with Bathsheba in his confession of sin. And he says in Psalm 51, verses 1 and 2, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I want you to think about three words that are there that talk about sinfulness. 
The first one that he uses is transgression. Blot out my transgressions. The word transgression in Hebrew and in Greek in the New Testament means rebellion or to rebel. Someone somewhere along the road defines sin as a clenched fist shaken in the face of God. When I was in seminary, one of the jobs I had to put food on the table for my wife and myself was a security guard. My wife did not like that job because on every TV show, the security guard is the first one to buy the farm. You know what I mean? (laughs) Well, one of the places I worked was the county hospital, Marin County Hospital. We were in Marin County in California. Let me tell you, the Marin County Hospital is not like some county hospitals. I mean, we're talking about the second wealthiest county in America, okay? The only reason it wasn't first is because we had so many seminary students in the county, we brought the level down a little bit. That winter, a long-standing drought in Marin County broke. And I can remember my my duty station at the hospital was right outside of the emergency room. I had to kind of direct traffic, make sure that people didn't use the parking lot uh, for the emergency room for general parking. The only people who could park there were, you know, ambulances, patients in the ER, and doctors. The doctors could all use the ER parking lot. Okay? And I'll remember for the rest of my life, this one doctor was coming in and out all day, in and out, in and out throughout my shift. And sometimes it would be raining, I mean pouring rain. And sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. It was off and on, all, all throughout the shift. And I'll never forget this doc. He comes out, and it's just pouring rain again. And he clenched, he literally clenched his fist and shook it towards heaven and said, you don't know what the blank you're doing I'm not kidding I stepped back it wasn't because I thought the almighty would miss with a bolt of lightning (laughs) I stepped back because I didn't want to get any of the splatter on me you know that guy literally clenched his fist and shook it in the face of God folks that's transgression when we rebel against God. The second word that's used in this passage is iniquity. The Hebrew word that's used here in Psalm 51 means to bend, to twist, or distort. In my very simple way of thinking, it's to pervert. And we do it all the time. Think about this. God gave us food for enjoyment and nutrition. Excuse me. And we turn it into gluttony. God gave us sleep for rest and rejuvenation. And we turn it into sloth. God gave us sex to be enjoyed inside of marriage. And we turn it into all sorts of perversion for our own sinful pleasures. That's iniquity. It's to twist, distort, 
that which God gave us as a good gift into something ugly and bad. And then the third word is simply sin. That word that we most commonly use. It means to miss the mark. In both the Greek and the Hebrew, it means to miss the mark. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the mark? What's the target? It's the glory of God. Because we're sinners, we do not live up to God's glory. We miss the mark. There's a gentleman by the name of Matt Emmons. Matt was an Olympic athlete some years ago. And he will be forever remembered, but not for things that he wants to be remembered for. Matt Emmons was an air rifle uh, Olympian competing with air rifles. And he was competing in an event where you had to shoot from three positions, standing, kneeling, and then prone, lying on the ground. Matt Emmons was an excellent shot. He gets to his, literally his last shot. And he is doing so well that all he has to have is a mediocre shot and he will win the gold. He takes his stance. He times his breathing. He squeezes the trigger. And he hits a bullseye. But there's supposed to be a buzzer that goes off when you've hit the target. And he doesn't hear the buzzer, and he's bewildered. What happened? Why, why no buzzer? I can see that I hit the bullseye. And then he realizes what he'd done. He shot the wrong target in the wrong lane. He missed the target completely. And he went from gold medal standing on the podium to eighth place because he missed the target. Folks, that's what we do in our sin. We miss perfection. You say, well, of course we miss, but we're not perfect. I'm no, who's perfect? Nobody's perfect. No, we're not perfect. We're sinners in need of a Savior. And Jesus took the punishment that we deserve on the cross. We must never forget who our Savior is. I've had a check in my wallet since 1999 from Publishers Clearinghouse. I'm not kidding. I won Publishers Clearinghouse in 1999. Well, not the big prize. Anybody want to guess what that check was for? A dollar. It was. Some of you might have gotten one back in 1999. And I really debated about what to do with that check. Should I cash it? You know, it's a dollar. It's not a big deal, but it's a buck. I thought, 
you know, they're counting on me not cashing it and they get to keep the dollar. But I finally landed on, I'm going to keep it because I'll have more fun with it over the years if I keep it than if I cash it. And I have had. Matter of fact, just in the last month, I was at the, at the bank and got into a wonderful conversation with the teller. And I told her about that check. And I actually got it out and showed it to her. It's, it's kind of wanting to fall apart right now. So I, I'm not, I don't get it out too often. But the question I asked her is, whose buck is that? And she had to think about it. She said, well, I guess it's yours. You got the check. I said, no, it's not mine. It was never cashed. I never had that money in my hand or in my account. I can't spend that dollar. It stayed in their account the whole time. And now, of course, you know, it says on the check it was only good for six months, and that was in 1999. So it's not good anymore. The money's still in their account. I never got the benefit of that dollar in my account. It's the same with Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for you. There's not a person here or watching online that Jesus didn't die for. He died for you. But unless you cash the check, it does you no good. Unless you put your faith in Christ, it does you no good. But the moment you turn from your sin and turn to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he credits your account with his righteousness. Without Christ, you stand before God condemned in your sin. But with Christ, you stand forgiven and in his righteousness. What the Father sees when he looks at his children is the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? I sure wish I could go back and undo some things that I did. Not hurt some of the people I hurt. Not say some of the terrible things I've said or do some of the terrible things I've done. I can't. Here's the good news. God's forgiven me. Not because of anything I've done. God forbid. I've never done anything worthy. But because of what Jesus did in taking my place. And when I put my faith in Christ, God credited to my account the righteousness of Christ. What have we said today? Number one, our Savior is none other than God's only begotten Son. Number two, Jesus came for the express purpose of saving sinners. Number three, Jesus took the punishment we deserve in order to save us. But we've also said we must put our faith in Jesus in order to be saved. It's not yours until you put your faith in Christ. 
But the instant, I guess we'd say in today's vernacular, the nanosecond that you put your faith in Christ, the righteousness of Christ is yours, and he saves you. A lot of people have said over the years, God loves you just the way you are. And that's absolutely true. God loves you just the way you are. But let me say this. He loves you too much to leave you the way you are. And if you put your faith in Christ, he's going to change your life for the better. He's going to forgive you. He's going to give you a purpose. He's going to change the way you live. From the inside out, there's going to be a change. But that change is possible. A lot of folks say, oh, people never change. No, not on their own, they don't. But with Jesus, they do. Let's pray. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. Thank you, Father, that if we put our faith in him, we will be saved instantly. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word. I pray that if there's anyone here today who needs to be saved, that today would be the day of salvation for them. Father, Many of us have already put our faith in Christ, but some of us need to make a rededication of our lives to Christ because we have been living in amnesia, not thinking about, not acknowledging who saved us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live a life that honors and glorifies you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team is going to lead us in a hymn or a song of invitation. There may be somebody here today who needs to make a decision for Christ. I don't know what that is, whether it would be to trust Christ as Lord and Savior or to make some other spiritual commitment. I'll be here to pray with you. Uh, Our deacon Gene will be available to pray with you as well. And we want to invite you to make that decision today. Let's stand together as we sing this hymn. Thank you for joining us today for Faith Point. Reach us online at firstsouthernpv.org or stop by to worship with us if you are in the Prescott Valley area. May God richly bless you today as you allow your faith to intersect with your life.